Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to our episode on improving investing outcomes for women. We're going to speak about an issue that both Mark and I are pretty passionate about, and that's women's financial empowerment. I'm really passionate about improving the financial outcomes of women because I've seen the impacts and I'm sure we all have in one form or another of a lack of financial literacy. Working in industries like financial advice and asset management provided exposure to how starkly different women's outcomes were to men. Um, I'd see side-by-side comparisons of superannuation balances, savings, investments, and ultimately the flow-on effect that they had on their quality of life. In my own life, I've seen friends at the beginning of their careers who have had the power to change their outcomes, but without the tools or knowledge to do it. Mark, I know this is a topic that you're really passionate about as well. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess the first thing I'd like to say is we were talking before this episode and I was telling you how proud I am of you and yeah, just wanted to echo the fact that I know how passionate you are and how many of your friends you've helped with their own investing questions. And I'm glad that we're doing a podcast and we have webinars and of course the guys that you write. So I'm very lucky to do this episode with you. So I'll start off by saying something nice. (laughs) How about that? But uh It does certainly resonate with me. So, you know, I've uh, mostly made fun of her, but talked about my mother a little bit in these things. And, you know, my parents got divorced when they were in their 60s. And, you know, kind of going back to traditional gender roles, my dad, who's a banker, always handled all the finances. And so, of course, my mother, who's a very intelligent woman, but knew nothing about finances, nothing about investing. And it's been a real struggle for her. So, That's why I think it's really important, especially to start young. And you're certainly an inspiration for me in terms of starting uh, starting off learning about this early. And so, yeah, I'm excited about this episode and hopefully it can help some people out. That's really nice, Mark. When you said that (laughs) you're going to start off by saying something nice, I feel like this is going to be a slow descent into you just making disparaging comments about me. (laughs) Do I, do I make a lot of disparaging comments about you? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we go. Um, but today, I think it's really important that we speak about the gaps that women face with investing in retirement and some practical tips to help even the playing field. First, I might say that the importance of um, saving and investing for your future is not gender specific. It's pretty critical for everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think sometimes episodes that are gender specific are a little polarizing, but every single thing that we're talking about today applies to both men and women. But there are some really unique issues that women do face. And that makes these investing concepts even more important. And it means because of these issues that women are disproportionately impacted by not knowing about some of these issues. So the first thing that we want to talk about is failing to invest. So we've talked about this a couple of times in a couple of different podcasts that we've done, but statistically, women are less likely to invest than men. And when they actually do start investing, they generally do it at later stages in life. And you know, time or the lack thereof in this circumstance can really limit um, anyone's ability to reach their financial goals. And you know, there are countless studies that point to all the different variables that are holding women back from dropping that first dollar into investment. And the main uh, main issue is just a general perception that investing is confusing and complex. And there was a U.S. study that came out by New York Life Investments, and it found that 
Over one half of all women in the study who sought help from the financial services industry feel that it didn't reflect their lifestyle or realities. And over one third of women felt that they were actually patronized by financial professionals. Um, so this really severely impacts women, especially because it leaves savings um, just sitting in low uh, yielding bank accounts or term deposits. And it really robs women of the ability to achieve their financial goals. Yeah. And the studies show this as well. And um, that's that women typically avoid leaping into investing um, and instead they stick to cash and fixed income options. And it's not that these assets don't have a place in your portfolio, but they offer less return on investment than other asset classes over the long term. And this really impacts whether women can reach their financial goals or whether they even come close. The second issue that we'll talk about is retirement. So career gaps, family, wage inequality, health, they're all variables that mean women arrive at retirement with much less money than men. And we'll explore a few of these today and and then go into some practical methods for bridging this gap. Yeah. So a good place to start is retirement outcomes in Australia. So at retirement, Australian women have on average $157,000 saved for retirement, whereas men have $270,000. So that's a gap of close to $114,000. And all this data comes from the Association of Superannuation Funds in Australia, and it's from 2018. And if we go back, the gap between women and men also um, extends to younger cohorts. So women between the age of 30 and 34, have a $33,750 balance in super, whereas men have a $43,580 balance in super. So the gap is closing, but it's closing really slowly. And there are a lot of reasons that contribute to this, um, but there are a few main factors. Women have lower lifetime earnings than men due to wage inequality, um, a documented reluctance to negotiate for better pay, and the fact that women are more likely to stop working or maintain a reduced schedule to devote time to um, caregiving for children, elderly parents, or both. Women in Australia earn an average of 14.6% less than men, and in full-time roles, that number rises to 22.4%, and that's according to the Finance Women's Index. On top of this, women have to stretch those smaller average balances over a longer time frame in retirement, um, and that's because as a 65-year-old woman, woman, um, you outlive your male counterparts by two years on average. Yeah, and I think sort of that convergence between lower retirement balances and a longer retirement period helps explain why women are much more likely than men to be poor in retirement. And there are a lot of things that can be done about all these underlying issues that we talked about. And, you know, what what we're going to go through is not an exhaustive list, but we're not really here to solve all of those problems. What we are trying to do is raise awareness about what they are, um, about the reality that women face from an investing standpoint, and then provide some practical tips that uh, that can be taken away. And then finally, Shani, the last issue we'll talk about today is financial advice. So working with a uh, with a professional financial advisor can provide you with a sense of security that your money's properly working for you, but not all advisors are created equally. So one of the most significant impacts a financial advisor can do uh, or can impact um, women is having an actual bias. So many studies have shown, we'll go through these in detail, that advisors often put women into more conservative options, which really doesn't work when we combine a longer lifespan and uh, and lower amounts of savings because of gaps and less wages, et cetera. 
Yeah, so we've spoken a little bit about the situation, um, so why it's important for us to explore this topic and why we need to find ways to bridge the gap. But I think it's important to focus as well on the good news and the reason why women should invest. Warren Buffett famously said that investing is simple but not easy. Um, Being a good investor does not necessarily mean hours spent researching a stock or investment or even being an industry specialist. The trait of a good investor is really simple and it's discipline. So some good news first. In 2017, Fidelity conducted a study on nearly 8 million account holders. The study found two revealing differences in the saving and investing habits of men and women. So the first is that women save more than men, which is great. Um, But women save an average of 9% annually of their paycheck compared to an average of 8.6% for men. And, you know, for those keeping score at home, that is the first Warren Buffett reference. So if there's... (laughs) This episode. This episode, yeah, Yeah. of course. No, there's there's multiple in each episode. So if you're playing the uh, investing compass drinking game, that's your first drink, right? We should come up with actual rules for this. I think that's a really good idea. Okay, I'll work on that. I don't have anything better to do. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that fidelity study that Shani referenced, great news. Women do save more. But the other interesting thing that came out of that study is women actually make better investors than men. So women outperform men by 40 basis points. So that is 0.4 of a percent. There are 100 basis points in a percent, by the way. Because um, people always ask me that. Me Yeah, so... Thought I'd just throw that in there. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but over years of investing, if you're investing for retirement for 40 years or so, those small differences in returns add up to a huge number at the end. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's all the good news. There is a bit of bad news as well. Women still lack confidence as investors. So in the same study um, by Fidelity, they asked the study participants who they believed was the better investor over the past year. And only 9% of women thought that they had outperformed men. And this lack of confidence has consequences. Um, according to another study, um, this one by Walt Simple, Women invest 40% less money than men. And then another study, when asked in a survey um, what they would do with an extra $1,000, men were 35% more likely to say that they would invest the money. A couple things we've learned here, right? So women save more. They don't invest as much. But when they do invest, they actually do a better job. So I think the first thing we need to talk about is, once again, going through the reasons why you would invest. So AMP Capital did a study. They went back to 1900. And this study was a little while ago. It was in 2010. So they looked from 1900 for 110 years. And they basically just put a dollar into all these different asset classes. And with all the income reinvested, they looked at what you would actually have at the end of the day. So if you put it into cash, so you've got it in the bank, this is the quote unquote safe option, right? You would have $238, which is pretty good, right? Sounds pretty good. Yeah, exactly. You turn a dollar into $238, that's 238 times what you put in, <laughs> right? That is very good. But let's say you put a dollar into Aussie shares, you would have $532,000 at the end of it. Now, most people don't have a 110-year um, investment horizon. but You're halfway the, through that, mate. I'm halfway through that. Okay. I'm getting older every episode. <laughs> I mean, I know literally, but you keep like pushing me ahead like five years. It's dog years. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. So once again, and for those playing at home, I have not said one negative thing about you so far. I spent the whole first half complimenting you. But anyway, the point is that the why you invest 
is to compound and grow your wealth and that being conservative may feel good because you feel like your money's safe, but you're really missing out on all of these returns. Yeah. And in saying this, um, the purpose of the example that Mark gave wasn't really to convince you to put all your cash out of the bank and put it into the stock market. The purpose of showing the difference between a stock and cash investment was illustrating that cash has always been seen as a safe option. Um, if you keep it there, you'll earn some interest and there's little to no risk of losing your savings. We all know, though, there's always a trade-off when it comes to risk. And in this case, it's a risk of not achieving your goals. Cash always feels like the comfortable option for many of us, but the trade-off here would be the risk of a less comfortable retirement or the risk of compromising other goals you might have in the lead-up to retirement, like buying a house or traveling or whatever your personal financial goals are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think in all of these different studies, we've obviously sat there and they've talked about how women do not invest as much, but they are saving. So the money's going somewhere. So where's it going? It's the alternative, right? It's sitting in a bank, as Shani said. And, you know, once again, you might think that it's safe, but slowly over this time period, all your purchasing power is really getting eroded by inflation. So inflation, of course, is the fact that costs of goods increase over time. So when we're looking at those numbers from A&P Capital, right, that does not account for inflation. So even when I said that a dollar turned into $238, didn't mean you could buy the same thing in 1900 as you could in 2010. Yeah. So um, this is why it's you should invest. Um, so keeping your money in the bank has traditionally been seen as the safest choice, but inflation is the reason why money sitting under your bed or in a bank account may not achieve your financial goals. So in the past 20 years, Australia's inflation rate has main, mainly stayed between 1.5 and 4.5% um, per annum, with the majority of the years falling between 2 to 3%. This figure is an average based on the goods and services purchased by an ordinary household. So your personal inflation rate um, takes into consideration your individual circumstances and where you spend your money, not an average household. So this indicator might give you a better understanding of the rate your money needs to grow um, to ensure your purchasing power doesn't decrease. Yeah, and I think I think it's important to note that we all spend our money on different products and services, depending upon where we live, depending upon different choices that we've made. And so sometimes it's really important to look at personal inflation. And so the official government inflation rate doesn't always apply to each individual. So the likely event is that our personal inflation rates do stray from that headline number that Shani was talking about. And Really, it comes down to sort of how you allocate the money that you spend compared to what's in this official inflation rate. Yeah, and I can use myself as an example for this. So I live two minutes um, from the office, so I walk to and from work each day. I don't use public transport unless I'm going out to see my parents, and I don't own a car. So my transport percentage would be close to nil, but my housing percentage would be higher than the CPI calculation because I live in the middle of the city. So housing costs in the recent past have risen faster than other categories. Um, so that percentage of the allocation would contribute to a higher inflation rate than the national. And so what personal inflation rates mean for you is that your money must reach this benchmark at a minimum to be able to maintain its purchasing power in the future. So taking the jump into other asset classes can be daunting, but keep in mind um, cash and bank accounts are not entirely risk-free. So leaving your savings in a bank account comp- compromises your purchasing power and subsequently your financial goals. And I really don't know of any bank at the moment, um, which is meeting my personal inflation or headline inflation. 
Yeah, you know what you didn't mention, by the way, during this, you're walking to work and from work, is yeah. that you do this multiple times a day. Yeah, I do. I, I go home for my lunch break. Yeah, and then you watch the West Wing. I do. Okay. It's good to unwind, Mark. Okay. Just a little bit. All right. All right. I'm, I'm just here working, so I don't know <laughs> what you're doing. But anyway, that's inflation and what Shani does for lunch. Um, but inflation is obviously one driver for uh, for why you should invest. But the other is compounding, um, and especially around investing early. So compounding has – there's been a bunch of quotes about compounding. So one was the eighth wonder of the world it was described as. So that sounds exciting, right? And basically just what compounding is, it's just earning a return on your previous return. And, you know, my non-Australian analogy, since you all don't see snow much, is just – I like a, how you chucked a yawl in there. Well, you like that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying my best here. And uh, and yeah, it's snowball rolling down a hill. And as a snowball rolls down a hill, it gathers more and more snow and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is compounding. So the key to take advantage of compounding is time. So it's getting, it is investing as soon as possible um, so that that power of compounding can occur over more and more years. So now, no matter how old you are, if you're 15 or if you're 50, at the end of the day, the best time to invest is today. And, you know, the reason that we say this, and particularly when we're focusing on retirement or any financial goal, is that today is the longest time possible until you actually need the money for that goal. So the more that you invest and the longer you invest, that can really dramatically change your outcome. Okay, so let's look at a scenario. We want to have a million dollars by the age of 65. The market is doing 7% per annum. Um, and if you're starting at the age of 25, you need to save $405 a month to get to a million dollars. If you start at 35, you need 855, so more than double. Then when you're 55, to save the same amount of money, you need $5,846 a month. And this is one of the best examples of what compounding can do. The earlier you invest and the more time you have in the market, the saving the savings that you need to accumulate reduces. Yeah. And so all these concepts, and we talked about how these concepts apply to both men and women, but what we just talked about particularly applies to women and the importance of saving early um, matters more to women because women take more frequent and longer career breaks. Um, so basically periods where women are not earning any money. And once again, this is obviously all average. Everyone has a different life, but um, there was a study that came out by rest superannuation, and it shows that women take career breaks earlier in their career, so at an average age of 33. And what you're actually not getting from a superannuation perspective, from missing those contributions, compounds to an average of over $160,000 at retirement. So really, the lesson that we have here is that planning and investing sooner in your career allows all those returns to grow in compound. So if you you are planning a career break and you start investing earlier, you can hopefully bridge some of this difference. Yeah. So if I wanted to take a career break in a few years time and I knew that this was coming up, I could salary sacrifice to super. So make extra contributions to super in the years leading up to this career break to ensure that um, those foregone contributions didn't compound to such a large amount. $160,000 is a pretty big deal, um, especially because, as we spoke about before, at retirement, Australian women have, on average, $157,000. So the gap that foregone super contributions make is more than the average balance. 
All right. So yeah, we've looked at a couple of reasons why it's important to invest. Once again, important to invest for everyone, but particularly for women, if there are more frequent and earlier career breaks. And that is that your purchasing power, if you just keep your money in the bank, is getting reduced by inflation. And that's really not going to help your cause, the minimal amount of interest that you're earning. And then, of course, compounding. So the return on the return and the more time you spend in the market, the longer your returns have to compound. So this is, as Shani said, really, really important if you are having planned or unplanned career breaks. They can have a really big impact on your super balance. So if you make those additional contributions that Shani talked about before or after the fact, um, then potentially you can eat into some of this gap, this $160,000 gap that women have um, by just the frequency and timing of career breaks. So that's a couple of reasons why you should take the plunge and invest. And if you've actually decided to do it, then what do you do? How much do you invest? What returns do you actually need to need to uh, generate? How much risk do you need to take? These are all questions, and I think they're all questions that overwhelm people. So even when they know they should invest, oftentimes they don't do it because, yeah, as I said, they feel overwhelmed. Yeah. So let's start with risk and return. Um, I know from experience that's what's that's what prevents a lot of my female friends from investing, um, and it's the risk of losing their money. It's important to keep in mind, though, that risk and return are fundamentally linked. Um, so the very act of investing is to take on a certain level of risk in the hope of earning a return on your investment. The more risk you take on, um, the more you should expect to receive. And I think one of the main issues with this equation is people always see the risk as overweight they see the risk of losing money as a reason not to invest. And at first glance, this makes sense. Nobody wants to lose money and any investment involves risk. What most people fail to consider is the point of investing in the first place. Um, you're in, you invest not to just have more money, but to have enough money to pay for a non-investing related goal. So that could be your retirement or purchasing a house, traveling, anything that constitutes a goal for you. And the real risk for investors is not short-term changes in the overall portfolio value, but the risk of not achieving a long-term goal. So I include equity investments in my superannuation, um, and that's because I'm trying to protect against the risk of being unable to support myself when I access my super. So the risk of my super having a lower balance in six months because of a market plunge really isn't a concern for me. So yeah, any con conversation about the riskiness of an investment must start with what you're trying to accomplish with the investment. Um, and in a shorter way, that's really just to invest. You really need to start with a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the goals provide a couple different things. So, you know, one thing, it provides structure to your investing and your overall financial plan. So, and that could be if you're working with a financial advisor, whether you're doing it yourself. And without this structure, you don't actually know how much risk you need to take on. And the risk, of course, is going into some of those asset classes where the return expectations are higher. Um, and, you know, framing your investing plan around a goal lets you then make those decisions into what types of investments you're actually going to make. So goals can vary. Everyone has different goals. And they don't have to be retirement focused, by the way. We spend a lot of time talking about retirement just because it is a you know common goal that most people have. But it can be traveling for a year. It can be buying a house. And you know it's, it's okay if you don't know what all these individual goals are. If you just want to focus on investing for a comfortable retirement, and maximizing returns for future expenses, that can be a good place to start. Yeah, and I think um, 
you can start off in a smaller way. So one of my financial goals was to be financially independent. Um, financial independence has varying meanings depending on who you ask, um, but foundationally it means long-term self-sufficiency. For women, financial independence has colloquially meant supporting yourself regardless of marital status, um, but it can also mean not having to rely on government pensions, a salary, or the help of others for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I think this is this is financial independence and sort of the concept of financial independence. It's gotten a lot of press, number one, from the FIRE movement. Um, so financial independence, retire early. But also just, I think, generally the way that the investment uh, industry has talked about financial independence, it's really been this picture where you're generating enough passive income to support yourself. So we talked about passive income on our dividend investing uh, podcast, but really all that means is it's money that you're making um, through little or no effort. So it's something outside of your sort of primary wages. So when you're working, you can certainly reinvest all that income and that helps you continue to compound that return. And once you stop work, of course, then your investments are just paying off all this income and you just live off of it. So I think one of the problems with this definition is that this is very unfeasible for a lot of people. The idea of building a big enough portfolio that it can actually support your lifestyle is very difficult to achieve and also makes it really intimidating to actually start out in the process. Um, so, you know, I think the reality that the industry lose sight of is that, you know, this is something that is actually preventing people from investing. And I think kind of particularly when it comes to some women's circumstances. Yeah, and I think something that's important to keep in mind is that you're able to decide what being financially independent means to you. Um, this may be a goal of not living paycheck to paycheck or having an emergency fund for unexpected expenses. Ultimately, determining what you qualify as financial success is a personal decision and what's achievable is based on individual circumstances. In other words, um, financial independence, like most of personal finance, is not a template that can be used for every person and it's what you believe it is. So part of being financial independent, financially independent is looking at what goals you would like to achieve. Um, having a goal or several goals can help you plan for your retirement and add structure to your saving and investing. All right. So we've gone through, so we've gone through a couple different um, reasons why you should invest. So we've mentioned retirement a lot, but I think at the beginning when we walked through what we wanted to achieve, we said we wanted to talk specifically about retirement. So why don't we do that now? And we gave some stats in the beginning about how women disproportionately are impacted um, with this general life decisions around, uh, around retirement. So let's talk about that. And then we can talk about some things we can do about it. So Obviously, with retirement, what are we talking about? We're talking about superannuation. Um, so compulsory superannuation has been in effect in Australia for almost three decades. I personally think it's something that we're all really lucky to have. So I said we there, Shani, as an Australian citizen. Um, so I think it's something that we're all really lucky to have. And the whole purpose of super, if we remember, it was to ease the burden on the welfare system and allow Australians to either fully or at least partially self-fund their retirement. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't always live up to this. And so we put together a scenario and you can do the exact same thing with your circumstances um, and look at how you'll go. It's on Money Smart, which is a government agency website that has a superannuation calculator and can project your balance at retirement. So the balance that you have depends on a lot of things. It includes your income, the age you want to retire, the fees and performance of your super fund and whether you make additional contributions. 
If we look at the scenario of a 30-year-old woman um, who wants to retire at 65, earning 80K in an average super fund, she would have $580,000 in her super by retirement age. In retirement, this $580,000 will result in two self-funded years in retirement with an income of $34,000 a year. Every year after those two years, uh, every year after those two years um, will be supported by the age pension. Consider, however, that women also on average live longer than men um, and they have smaller superannuation balances. In most cases now, the average worker is looking to fund a retirement in equal length to their working life. So as our life expectancy increases, it comes with the happy problem of funding more years in retirement. Um, so what we can take from this is investing outside of mandatory super contributions. It's pretty essential to ensuring a comfortable retirement. Yeah, and I think you know one thing that you didn't put into that scenario, of course, that you were in was career breaks. And we're talking about career breaks. So that's one thing that's missing. Yeah, exactly it. So um, we'll discuss a few options that you can implement to build for a more self-funded retirement or comfortable retirement. Let's talk about career breaks first. So we spoke about how career breaks can erode your super and savings in general. Women do disproportionately take on childbearing and caring responsibilities, and these form a large portion of career breaks. And um, that's even with the advances in maternity leave benefits. So the 18 weeks of paid parental leave that is legally mandated still falls short of the 32-week average that a mother takes. And um, under existing legislation, employers are not required to make superannuation contributions for employees on paid parental leave. So this leaves the potential 32 weeks without any kind of superannuation contribution. And for 14 of those weeks, there's also no income earned. And um, it goes without saying that having children is one of life's most expensive events. Considering gaps in superannuation must be a component of this preparation. Yeah. So, you know, we've mentioned that the result of one or multiple career breaks is often a lower superannuation balance at retirement. So the Australian Financial Security Authority, and that's the government agency re responsible for those in financial hardship, said on average women have a 42% lower superannuation balance at retirement than men. And this gap is likely to be pretty drastically underestimated is most 60-year-old men and women would have only had superannuation for a portion of their life. So assuming you start work at 22, you retire at 60 with an 8% annual return, a woman would need to save an additional $513 a year to close this gap. And the wage gap between men and women also exasperates um, the problem and the impact of all these one or, or one or multiple career breaks. So to make up for the con the combination of a wage gap and career breaks, women must contribute a little over 11% a year to super instead of the compulsory 9.5%. So this doesn't seem like a lot. But once again, if you're doing this from early in your career, the impact of compounding will dramatically improve the outcome you have. Yeah, and there's a couple of methods that can help you bridge the gap created by a career break as well. The first is salary sacrifice and um, while you are earning an income. And this isn't just a solution for women who are early on in their careers. It's intended to be useful for women of all ages, and that includes women who are past the years of their career breaks. So you still have an option to salary sacrifice into your superannuation if you are earning an income. Um, you can contribute $25,000 a year, that's total including employer contributions, into your superannuation as pre-tax contributions. 
taking advantage of the tax benefits that this brings. So the amount you can contribute will um, vary based on personal circumstances. But again, you can use um, the Money Smart website. They have a superannuation optimizer tool on their website, um, as well as other calculators that can assist with understanding how contributions can affect outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the second measure you can take is while you're doing planning and saving for your career break is make sure that you include super contributions in that planning. And that will make sure that there are minimal changes to your superannuation balance. It just requires some time and some forethought before you uh, before you take those career breaks. Um, so just include them in the calculation process and contribute just as your employer would during that period. So remember, these contributions will be treated as non-concessional. If your pre-tax contributions are below $25,000 for that financial year, your superannuation fund can provide you with an S-290 form, which is just a notice of intent to claim or vary a deduction for personal super contributions. That'll give you a tax deduction on the contributions you make. So apart from career breaks, it's probably worth mentioning that women's health outcomes often vary from men's. Uh, so according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, women experience distinctly different health outcomes to men. Their life expectancy is longer, but their total disease burden is also higher as women are more likely to live with a chronic disease than die early from a disease. Women are also more likely to experience chronic conditions that require ongoing support. So as you reach retirement, um, you're far more likely to develop chronic conditions. So half of Australian women have one or more that requires specialist care, which is often quite expensive. Uh, so Australia has one of the best universal health programs in the world. But despite this, it's not comprehensive when it comes to that ongoing specialist care. So as you go further into retirement, um, dementia and Alzheimer's disease become the leaders leading cause of death for women. Um, and these conditions can require care for long, ongoing periods, all of which are a consuming financial burden. Yeah. And the best way to alleviate this burden is, of course, by investing early, making sure that you're getting those impacts of compounding, make sure you're investing aggressively enough um, in terms of your asset allocation decisions. So make sure you're taking on some of those riskier assets that earn higher returns over the long term. And, you know, obviously all the planning that's involved in that. So, you know, it's almost like a perfect storm. I think we, we've kind of described here, right? So there's a disparity in women's wages. Life expectancy is longer. There are earlier and more frequent career breaks. And of course, health outcomes, as you said, can uh, can potentially lead to these situations where there's an ongoing financial burden. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things here. Obviously, they're impacting women. And the best way to deal with this is invest earlier and invest aggressively enough to actually meet your career goals. Yeah. And um, that brings us to the last disparity we're going to discuss today, the gender bias in financial advice. So this section might not seem as relevant to those who haven't or don't plan to seek financial advice, but it also explores what an investor should be focusing on when constructing a financial plan um, and whether it be constructed, whether it is constructed by yourself or someone else. So many investors um, and women in particular look to financial advisors for support along their investing journey. Uh, among investors with personal incomes of at least $100,000 and or investable assets of at least $500,000, 56% of female investors have a financial advisor. And for men, this figure stands at only 42%, according to a report that we actually did, Morningstar, um, in 2019. 
Yeah. So, I mean, on the surface, this is positive, right? So, all the things that we talked about at the beginning、um, can be alleviated by going to a financial advisor. And you know, we know that women need to invest more. We know that there are a lot of unique challenges around longer lifespan, all the things that lead to lower retirement balances. And so, yeah, it's great that people are turning to financial professionals. The problem is that there are a lot of indications that there is a pervasive gender bias in the financial advice industry, and that really lowers the quality of advice that women receive. So, you know, part of this is just satisfaction, right? So many women say they struggle to find an advisor who understands them, and more than sixty percent of women are considering switching advisors, while only forty-four percent of men do. Yeah, and another study, this one by EY, and they asked female investors what terms came to mind when they thought of the wealth management industry,、um, and the women responded with unwelcoming, patronizing, male-dominated, and full of jargon, which are all not great things. So,、um, in this and other surveys of female investors who have advisors, whether they're male or female. Many said they felt misunderstood by their advisor,、um, or that they think their advisor is uninterested in them. Many female investors also report instances in which their advisor、um, leaned on common stereotypes. They assumed that they had lower risk tolerances or focused on sustainable investments, despite、um, women actually never showing interest in the topic. Yeah, so I think this is、uh, this is important, and you know there was a.、Um, Similar study that went in there and did one of these、uh, blind consumer、um, studies. I'm of course forgetting the name of what do we call these things? Mystery shopper. Mystery shopper. There we go, Shadi. Mystery shopper. So,、um, and really, what that involved is so it just involved men and women, literally with the exact same financial、um, situation, so the same portfolio size, the same goals. Going in to different financial advisors and posing as prospective clients, and then the researchers took a look at the advice that each was given, and men and women were surprisingly, I guess not surprisingly, treated very differently. So female investors were asked about their personal and financial situations less often than men, and women were also advised to have more liquidity, so basically more cash, less international exposure, and fewer actively managed funds. Yeah. So the general theme that we sense from this research、um, is that even when women enlist professionals to help them with financial planning, their needs seem pretty unfulfilled. So, what should you know if you decide to seek financial advice? So there was a torrent of disturbing allegations from the Hain Royal Commission, as we all know,、um, into the finance industry, and this has really prompted many Aussies, both men and women, to question whether their interests are being served by their financial advisors. So women, in particular, should approach any interaction、um, with a financial advisor with a clear picture of what good financial advice looks like. So studies show one way to increase the chance of getting good financial advice for women is to simply find a female financial advisor. So according to a 2018 study、um, from King Business School, women advised by a male financial advisor feel significantly less knowledgeable about their investment decisions and hold more than 14% more cash in their portfolios compared to women with female advisors. In an industry where only 20% of advisors are women, this may be easier said than done. So, what does good financial advice actually look like? Yeah, so we we did cover some of these points in a previous podcast, but you know, just as a, mind, a reminder, at Morningstar we do have a pretty clear idea of what we think good financial advice is, and that's taking a goals based total wealth approach to financial planning. So we work with thousands of advisors around the world, and 
work to help them to provide better financial outcomes for their clients. And, you know, this is really the approach that we believe you should take. Many advisors do take this approach as well. And those are really the advisors that we want to work with at Morningstar. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go through a couple different items? So there are really four things that we think you need to consider before investing. So this is obviously things you do it yourself, but also if an advisor is helping you. So number one is a focus on goal attainment. Number two is this total wealth approach I mentioned. Number three is obviously risk and framing risk in a correct way. And then finally getting into portfolio construction. So let's start with goal attainment. So the focus should always be on long-term goal completion completion, rather than on the performance of investments that make up a portfolio. And really, that tone should be set from the first meeting with an advisor, where the discussion should be, be about you, your family, and your goals. And it isn't just the first meeting. Uh, so additional meetings and communications from your advisor should follow the same sort of tone. Um, updates should focus on progress against milestones to achieving your goals and not on the performance of investments. Um, I think it's really important to remember here that the actual investments in your portfolio are a means to an end and nothing more. Yeah. And the second, uh, the second piece was this total wealth approach. And really what we're saying here is context is really, really important to any sort of financial plan that you're putting together. And really to understand that context and to have that context, an advisor needs to know more about you than just the contents of your portfolio. So before you start talking about investments, focus should be on your career, your prospects, your age, where you live, your family circumstances, and any sort of personal circumstances. And the reason this is so important is what we were talking about before, the impact of career breaks and what they can have, particularly on women and the financial outcomes they receive, um, wage gaps, all of the different things that uh, that women are disproportionately faced with. Yeah, I think you should be quite wary if the first question your advisor asks you is um, how much money you're looking to invest. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Because then you can tell exactly what the focus is, right? It's on what's in your portfolio and not you. And, you know, really the third thing that we think is really important is how your advisor actually defines risk. And really that's a crucial indicator of their overall philosophy of how they deliver financial advice. So there's a common practice that really focuses on risk preference, um, and that really fails to paint a complete picture. So your advisor should do more than simply ask you about risk. What they should do is um, actually focus on your goals. Yeah, the amount of risks, um, required risk and your goals are fundamentally linked. So the reason you invest in the first place is to meet your goals. The act of investing is a trade-off between risk and return. Taking on less risk with your investments may increase your risk of not reaching your goals. Yeah, exactly. And that is, uh, and you know, we talked about, obviously, when we talked about that mystery shopper, see, I remembered it now, that, uh, that mystery shopper, um, study that was done is, you know, the bias was to put women into more conservative investments. Um, many women invest later, don't invest at all. And that's really because I think, you know, it is a different viewpoint of risk that's obviously being encouraged by the financial services industry. As you said, Shani, the risk is not reaching your goal. So keeping money safe in the bank and not reaching your goal is a lot riskier than actually putting something into the stock market. But anyway, the last, uh, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's the, uh, that's three out of four of the last considerations, portfolio construction. So selecting investments, and the reason this is last is because selecting investments should be the last step 
of your initial work with an advisor. The investments, as we said, should only be selected once your advisor understands your circumstances and the goals that you want to achieve. Yeah, and there's been a lot of public scrutiny, um, especially after the Royal Commission, because advisors were picking investments that served their interests more than they served their clients. A good advisor should be open to discussing why a particular investment was selected. And one way to get this reassurance is to validate the recommendation against an independent opinion. So all advisors... Um, have or should have access to independent research, including 60% in Australia who can access Morningstar research. So a practical way of ensuring um, that the interests are aligned with you is asking your advisor for a second opinion or being able to see the research reports on the investments that they're actually putting into your portfolio. So those are the four considerations that we recommended. Uh, sorry, when we recommend when um, assessing whether a financial advisor is right for you. But we've covered quite a bit today, Mark. Uh, yeah, no, we have, we have, and I have not said one negative thing about you, but, uh, but let's go through a little bit of a summary of what we did cover. Um, so the first concept we covered was that women invest less than men. And we talked about why this is so significant. So, you know, number one, women live longer and their superannuation investment balances at retirement are lower. And obviously those two things do not go together, or at least not, they don't go together into any sort of happy outcome. So, Remember that the alternative to investing is keeping your money in cash, but that is slowly eroded away by inflation. So inflation impacts the purchasing power of your money, which means that you're not able to purchase the same amount of goods and services tomorrow as you did today. And that is the whole point of saving and investing, to delay that spend. So women save more. We talked about that. But most of um, savings, or in many cases, savings are in cash and fixed income and these can feel safe, but they'll often prevent you from getting to your goals because in most cases, you won't necessarily be beating or beating inflation, or maybe you'll just be barely beating inflation. And then finally, another reason to invest is compounding. So we called it the eighth wonder of the world. Many people call it the eighth wonder of the world. It's not like we came up with that today. But, uh, but compounding can help you reach your goals. It's just earning a return on your return. And that means the sooner you start investing, the more time your returns have to compound. Yeah. So the second concept was retirement. Women have less desirable outcomes with retirement savings for a few reasons. And um, we discussed this. So it was career breaks, the wage gap, increased health burdens and a longer life expectancy. So you can combat this by investing early and planning career breaks where possible. Um, and that ensures that you don't miss out on super contributions. Also spend a little bit of time understanding your super fund and whether the fees, insurances and asset class mix is right for you. All right. And the third concept was financial advice. And, you know, once again, for both genders, but particularly some of the biases that we demonstrated or talked about um, that, that women face, make sure that a professional has your best interests at heart and they are helping you to construct, monitor and maintain a portfolio that have your goals in mind particularly around risk as well. So make sure that you have a common alignment about how you want to define risk. It's not the volatility in your investment. It's actually achieving your goals. All right. So there's a couple different resources you can lean on. Um, and I'll finish this where I started it, Shani. How about this? Two nice things I'm going to say about you today. So Shani wrote a women's guide to investing. There are two parts to this. And the guys walk through some of the concepts that we talked about today. 
Part two um, is actually once you've gotten in a position where you're ready to invest, it walks through what you actually do next. So how do you know you're ready to invest and what you need to do before you actually put that first dollar in? And that does apply to both genders, obviously, as all this stuff does. But part one really frames some of these pervasive examples where women do have a harder mountain to climb with investing in some cases. So the nice thing I'm going to say about you, Shani, is so that guy, Shani, wrote for International Women's Day last Last year, and it was actually it was before she joined the team. Um, just obviously, I'd gotten to know her, and it was a cause that she was passionate about. And yeah, the guide is the guide is outstanding. And after she wrote that guide, it was sort of full scale recruitment to try to get her onto the team, just because. <laughs> She's obviously very special, and I knew that she'd be a great resource for all our individual investor comment or all our individual investor clients. And then finally, a guide that I wrote, which isn't as good, is a guide to portfolio construction. So what it really does is it walks through those four steps that you want to take, um, help you define goals, help you figure out your required rate of return help you figure out how that goes into asset allocation decisions, and then actually how to pick investments at the end. So I think that's everything for today. That's everything. Yeah. So any closing thoughts, Shani? No, no. Closing thoughts. Invest. Invest. There you go. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for joining. We appreciate you listening. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.